blessings and woes. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To God. And a round of applause. Oh, I <laughs> Thank you so much, Rose. <laughs> it's all right, I knew I was preaching, so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, good morning. It feels like I've not been here for a while. Uh, some of you know I wasn't very well last week, um, and um, I'm much better now, thank you. Um, so it's lovely to be here. And I'm going to be uh, preaching on the passage uh, that we've just heard, and that is the passage that I was due to preach uh, on a couple of Sunday mornings ago, um, but um, wasn't very well at all. And um, so here is uh, my sermon, which um, I actually hadn't even had time to, to prepare when I was unwell. So um, something that I've looked at over the last few days. Uh, so let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, as we uh, think about these words, we thank you um, that as we look at your words, you speak to us afresh each time. And I pray that as we uh, look at these words, maybe they're familiar to us, maybe they're not, that you would speak to us afresh. We come to you and say, speak, Lord. We're here for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're thinking about this passage. Um, as like, you can see, I put on the screen, apologies, uh, discovered that the font I use is a little thin, so I'm hoping you'll be able to see everything. But don't worry, there's nothing like really, really important on the screen. Um, apart from the fact that I've titled this The Sermon on the Plane. Um, that's not the plane that you sit on, it's the sort of the flat plane. Um, because of course, when we read this passage, we discover that Jesus comes down from the mountain and he's preaching on the plane. 
He's preaching um, not um, like we, we hear in, in other Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching the Sermon on the Plain. Um, and of course, we've said this, I know Jonathan said this before, uh, when we look at uh, these passages, they're similar, they're familiar because we hear them in other Gospels. So here we hear Jesus uh, giving these blessings and woes, and it might make us think of the Beatitudes um, in, in other uh, Gospels. Um, but of course, Jesus would have told these stories, these words, taught these things more than once. And so here, although they sound different from um, the equivalent uh, in other Gospels, they may well be different because of the fact that Jesus preached them more than once. And actually, what we find here is this is the start of Jesus' teaching in lots of ways. We'll find throughout the next uh, few weeks and um, through the, the passages we had last week and, and so on that we hear a lot of Jesus' teaching now. But have a look at who is there in this passage. We read in this passage that there is a large crowd gathered. Loads of people, a great number. It's said a couple of times, which makes the real clear point that there are a lot of people there. And we also read that they are from different regions. So we read here that this includes people from Tyre and Sidon. We read that there are people who are from different backgrounds, and it's likely that there would be people here now coming to hear Jesus, coming to meet Jesus, who weren't from a Jewish background. So there would be Gentiles amongst those who were there as well. And we hear in this passage that they have come to hear Jesus and to be cured. And I love the image of sort of Jesus standing there. Power is coming out of him. Everyone's sort of clamoring to touch him. And they're all healed. Isn't that amazing? Just reminding us of the power of Jesus. But then, when we get to these blessings and woes, we sort of zoom in a little bit because it's easy for us to miss that what we have here is Jesus looking at the disciples. So he says these words specifically to the disciples. It's not that the crowds aren't there, but that he's looking at them. So these words are maybe specifically for them. It's not that they're not for the others, but maybe Jesus is speaking to them in this moment, these words, for a particular reason. And I wonder whether he's speaking to the disciples here about what they need to be on the lookout for themselves. You know, think about the fact that Jesus is here. He's got all of these crowds of people coming to see him. And it's very easy in that position, isn't it, to, to let that go to your head? Look at all these people coming to see me. And maybe he's just warning the disciples, hang on a minute. Yes, you're with me. You may want to bask in the reflective glory. You might want to sort of be part of this. But this is what you need to be aware of in this. And what we find in this passage is we have these blessings and woes. And there are four pairs of them. We hear the blessings first and the woes then. Um, but what we find is, is something more than that. So a reminder that when we have the word blessing here, it comes from the Greek word makarios, um, which is about sort of the, the ha happy or being in an untroubled state, being free from care. It's that sort of sense of the word blessing. And then we have the word woe, which uh, is do I... 
I think that's how you pronounce it. I have done Greek, but I'm not quite sure about the pronunciation of that word. And that sort of denotes pain or displeasure. It's an expression of, of pity for those who stand under divine judgment, if you like. And so we have these blessings and we have these woes. Of course, we can look back into Scripture, can't we? We can look back into the Old Testament, particularly into Deuteronomy, and we can see long lists of blessings and curses, actually, in the Old Testament um, about how you live according to the law. All part of the covenant, covenant all part of the, the agreement between God and his people. And here, Jesus gives what he wants to say on these. He gives his version, if you like, of these. And, and in some ways, it's a radical one. Often, I've heard people talk about the, the Beatitudes, these blessings, as a sort of topsy-turvy thing, that Jesus is turning on its head some of the things that people might have thought. Maybe, actually, he's turning it the right way up, of course. It's not sort of turning it upside down. He's turning it the right way up. And here Jesus talks about good news for the poor, for the hungry, for the weeping, for those who are hated. And of course, we can look back, can't we, to uh, Luke chapter 4, where we hear Jesus reading those words from Isaiah 61 about um, him being the, the one who came to bring, uh, proclaim good news to the poor, the one who's sent to proclaim freedom for the captives, uh, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And he says, in me, that scripture is fulfilled. Sort of Jesus' manifesto, if you like, him saying, this is what I came to do. And so what we hear in these verses, in these words, is Jesus acting upon um, those words from Isaiah 61 that he quotes in Luke 4. So Jesus here is reminding us that he came to bring good news to those who maybe hadn't had good news for a long time those who were poor, those who were hurting, those who were hated. And wait for this, I've got a long phrase, long words coming up. Are you ready? I learned some new words this week. Apparently, what we have here, these four opposites, these pairs, because if you look at the first half, they're, they're in parallel to the second half of them. They are in a Hebrew poetic style, uh, a form of Hebrew, wait for this, antithetical parallelism, parallelism, can't even say the words, antithetical parallelism, that word, parallelism, that's hard to say, isn't it? In other words, there are two phrases which give a negative and a positive, and we see that very clearly in this. And uh, sort of Jesus gives the, the, the blessing and then he gives the, the, the woe. He turns it upside down in these phrases as well. It's sort of a sense of this is now, but this is what will be. Now, let's think about it in that way. And in some ways, I read this this week, in some ways, what Jesus is doing is teaching a sort of antidote to materialism. He's saying, hang on a minute, the kingdom of God isn't about wealth. The kingdom of God isn't about happiness um, in, in, in the, the way that it's maybe talked about in this passage. The kingdom of God isn't about being liked all of those things. So he is teaching an antidote to materialism. 
So we're going to look at each one of these um, parallels, these whatever that phrase was, I can't say it anymore. Um, we're going to look at the first one, the poor and the rich. So we've got that on the screen. And apologies that the writing isn't very clear. Uh, but basically, you've got on one side the rich, on the other side the poor, and then you've got the verses that those refer to. So first of all, um, we have, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You'll notice that I've actually put the verses the wrong way around. Uh, apologies about that, I've just noticed that. And then the alternative, you've got, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now just put yourself in the position of those listening at this time. It would have been quite a shock to hear those words, for Jesus to say, blessed are the poor. And then that the rich have a hopeless future, because in worldly terms, that seems pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? And we'd probably think, think the same now. You know, we, we think about happiness and money sort of brings happiness, doesn't it? You know, there's lots of people who would say that. There's quite a lot of us who would say that's not the case as well. But of course, Jesus, as I said, had this commission to preach good news to the poor. What does Jesus mean by poor here? Well, he means those in poverty, those who would have been marginalized, the humble, would have been those who didn't have enough money, but it can be expanded to be more than that as well, of course. And the rich, well, those were the people who would be well-fed, those who would have money, those who had significant resources. But I think what Jesus is pulling out here is it would be those who didn't think about others, those who would be powerful and privileged, those who maybe have a self-security which doesn't include God. And so what Jesus is doing is he's, he's challenging the sort of money-based ways that we might look at the world. That challenge that, you know, does money make us happy? You know, the fact is we know it brings us nice things sometimes. You know, I know that because I have some money, I can go on a nice holiday. And the holiday can make me happy for a season, but it's not what makes me happy. How often do we find ourselves worshipping money, though, instead of Jesus, what money can buy us, for example. But we might ask ourselves, why does Jesus bless the poor? Why doesn't he come and say, I'm going to bring you all you need? Well, he does say that, doesn't he? But why does he do that? You know, in some ways we could say, aren't, aren't there any rich believers? Is it, is it impossible to be a Christian and have money? Well, if, I don't think he's saying that. Of course, um, you can have money and still believe and trust in Jesus and be a Christian. But Jesus is using this sharp contrast to make a vital point to his disciples. Because the fact is that money can insulate us, can't it, from, from feeling the needs that we might actually really have. Those who are rich can tend to be self-satisfied. On the other hand, the poor are forced to trust God since they have no wealth to trust or to hide themselves by. You know, we know it's really a case, isn't it, that we cannot serve two masters, as Matthew 6 says, God and money. Because actually, when we look at it, they are opposed to each other, aren't they? God and money. And so what we could say is that the poor are blessed, not because of what they have, in material terms, but because of what they have in spiritual terms. 
They are blessed because of the faith. They see what is really important. They have the keys to the kingdom of God. I think about the times when I have uh, traveled and, and seen parts of the world where there is very little in monetary terms. My recent trip to Nepal and some of the people that we met, we met a, a pastor um, in the middle of a monsoon <laughs> um, in one town. And interestingly, um, uh, he was whistling, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And we only just sort of heard it in the background. And my friend said to me, just sing that song. And um, so I sang, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, with an umbrella um, over me and just torrential rain everywhere. And this man heard, and he turned around, and we ended up standing under a shelter, um, singing, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and praying for each other. And then we went to visit his church the next day, and um, they were desperately trying to build a church building um, surrounded by floodwaters. And um, I'm still in touch with him on Facebook. And every now and then he sends me some pictures of people who've come to know Jesus. And it is amazing. And um, he's not really allowed to go out and evangelize, yet the church is growing and people are coming to know Jesus. And he is passionate about his faith. He has little in terms of money, probably quite a lot in terms of those in that nation, but he has the keys to the kingdom of God. The fact is, it's very easy, isn't it, to be blinded by money goggles. You know, if we, if we look at the world through money, we can be blinded as to what is important because our comfort can often be our wealth. Jesus says they have already received their comfort. And so there's a challenge for us in that, isn't there? A challenge for us in how we live, about how we think about money. Jesus' response isn't, um, blessed are you who are poor, um, the response isn't, you will become rich, but yours is the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, poverty will be absent. In God's kingdom, there will be no hunger. There will be no weeping. There will be no hatred. And what Jesus is saying is that the poor are those who are used to living in the margins of society, and the rich are the ones who are surrounded by friends and use their resources for their position in society. And so by saying that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are on the margins of society, Jesus is turning upside down the way that society was seen and actually still is seen. He was overflowing the values that people held importance by. That first one, money. So as I said, this is an antidote to materialism. The next thing we find is that the parallel uh, between um, hungry and well-fed. And um, in these uh, verses, we read, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And then we read, Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. And as I was thinking about these words, I was just reminded of so many in this world who go without enough food, including in this country when we think about the number of people that are having to go to food banks, including those who are earning decent salaries. Uh, we hear about uh, people not being able to buy food, having to uh, eat one meal a day so that their children can get enough food. Or those nations whose crops have failed uh, because of famine. This is the hunger Jesus is talking about here. 
And if we see that in a contrast to those who are well-fed, well, it's easy in a poor culture, isn't it, to see the difference. Let's face it, those who are rich are often bigger than those who are poor. In some ways, it's easy, isn't it, to tell those who are well-fed. But Jesus here is saying that there's something better to come, where those who would go hungry will be fed. And of course, part of that is that they will be fed on something far more than physical food. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 6, when he speaks um, at the time of the feeding of the 5,000, and he says, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never hunger. The food they will receive will satisfy them. It will be able to um, give them all that they need. But for those who are well-fed, Jesus says, they won't be satisfied. There will be a sense of emptiness, not a, a physical emptiness, but a spiritual emptiness. So what we see in this contrast here is that there is something about the materialism of today, of being well-fed now, but forgetting what is most important, and that is being fed on God, being fed on, on the very bread that comes from Jesus. Doesn't answer the question that we might still have, what about those who don't have enough food now? But maybe that's something that we can pray into and maybe there are ways that we can help that as well. Okay, the next one is those who laugh and those who weep or laugh, depending on where you're from. And in this passage, we have two, again, we have this verse which says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And then woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. This image of, of, of uh, weeping here is, is those who are weighed down by so much that it's an effort to keep going. They're struggling to survive. And the image of laughing here is those who are sort of carefree. They don't have anything hard in their lives. They're, they're even able to laugh and joke even if things are going badly wrong around them. It's that sort of weeping and laughing that Jesus is talking about here. But maybe there's something else that Jesus is saying here as well. Maybe he's also talking about those who lament and weep at the world, who lament and weep at a broken world around us. Jesus is reminding us that one day we will rejoice, even if we're weighed down by what we see around us, even if we lament at the state of the world, at the state of the nation, at the state of the church. Because we can read in Revelation 19 that one day we will be at the wedding banquet of the bridegroom. We will rejoice. We will laugh. We will be full of joy. But Jesus is giving a warning here to those who ignore what is going on and simply have a good time. They won't fare so well, says Jesus. They will mourn and weep. A reminder of some words from 2 Corinthians 4. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that is eternal. That's what we need to hold on to. So if we um, are looking at the world around us and we mourn and we weep at what we see, we do need to fix our eyes on what is eternal, see what is awaiting us. And isn't that an imperative for, help, for us to help others to see that as well? To not see uh, just the, the material of what's around, but the spiritual of what is to come. Okay, finally then, we have uh, the hated and the well-spoken of. Again, I'm really sorry about that font and the colour. Uh, the hated and the popular, I think I've called it here. So we have these two uh, passages here. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And then the opposite. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So what we have here is a slightly different uh, thing. It's less, less about the sort of material stuff. And it doesn't really talk in the same way about present and future. But it, it's more about that sort of love and hate contrast. It's about popularity, isn't it? It's about being liked. And I'm sure many of us face that quite regularly, that desire to um, be liked. I know as a musician, um, I have found that a challenge at times. That sense of I want to be liked, my ego needs it. Um, to be praised, to be thanked, to be spoken well of, to, to be popular. Yet Jesus is saying, beware of that. Because that's how false prophets were treated. And look how it worked out for them. The contrast between prophets and false prophets here. The prophets were treated pretty appallingly, weren't they, when you look? They had to say really difficult things and they weren't liked for it. So Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Uh, we read that John the Baptist was beheaded. Um, we hear that Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all were accused of being false prophets and traitors even. Many were killed because they were faithful to what God had asked them to do. And I do believe that for many of us, uh, there is a calling at times to stick our head above the parapet, to stand up for what we believe is right by God, even if it doesn't make us popular. As someone who's a clergy person in the Church of England at this time, I really feel that, that need to find ways to, to stand up for what I believe in, knowing that it might mean I'm disliked. It might mean that I'm hated on social media, it might mean that um, I'm unfriended by people. For, an ex for example, uh, there was a, a minister, um, a theologian at one of the theological colleges who um, spoke out about what's going on in the Church of England, and he's lost his job as a result of doing that. That is what we're facing. Because there's also a sense that there is a, a trap of popularity and that's what the false prophets face in some ways. Jesus is saying, don't go for the trap of popularity, because although the false prophets were accepted and praised, it meant nothing in the kingdom of God. Think of the many well-known church leaders who have fallen from grace because of popularity, because of wanting to be liked. 
it's so easy to end up wanting to please those who like you rather than to please God. But Jesus isn't saying, be unlikable. <laughs> He's not saying, going around and be really horrible. <laughs> but that we shouldn't aim for popularity. We cannot judge ourselves on whether we are popular. Instead, instead of seeking popularity, we need to seek faithfulness. And maybe as Jesus is surrounded by these crowds, all wanting a piece of him, he's giving them a warning. We will find all sorts of temptations in this, but that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. This is a very different value system that Jesus is speaking of. The world's value system won't last, but God's will. In all of this, Jesus is saying, watch out for your motives. If money or being well-fed or being liked or having a good time motivates you, then think again. Don't go after the opposites, but look to who the real motivation is, Jesus and his kingdom. And so the challenge for us is to recognize that this is the shape of God's kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom from the one around us. It's not that we're to strive to be poor or hungry or to be hated or to weep. And he's not saying that it's wrong to be rich or to be well-fed or to laugh or be popular, but to acknowledge that it's about the kingdom of God. And it's a warning about what we prize and what we see as worth something. So do we prize those things? Do we prize our money or our luxuries or our reputation or our good lives? The fact is, this isn't what Jesus is interested in. He's interested in the outward things. Sorry, he's not interested in the outward things. He's interested in the heart. We can't measure our worth by ourselves, by what we have and how others see us, but by Jesus' grace, by what he has done for us. So my final question is, what do you prize? What things are important to you? Let's strive to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's keep looking to him, to please him and not the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for these words of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came to turn things upside down and in that way to turn them the right way up. And I pray for each one of us in those things that we might uh, struggle with in terms of those things that we prize. Help us to turn our eyes once more to you, to fix our eyes on you. And for those of us who may be struggling in one particular area or uh, find it hard, who we, don't, we don't have enough in some areas. Lord, help us to keep hold of you. I pray that you would uh, give us all that we need and that we would um, demonstrate your love to those around us who need uh, things as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you are interested in every aspect of our lives. Help us to continue to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.